have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. I've had my uh, drive paved, and uh, the, it seemed like it didn't bond, and I thought that you'd be the one to call and ask uh, what I should do about it now before I have it paved again. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor, and now Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. But more often than not, when we see something not bonding, it's uh, an issue in the preparation. Either it was too cool when it was laid, or the preparation wasn't quite right for it to bond like it should. But what you're describing to me is something that I don't see very often, just having a driveway come up in large clumps. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is right here every weekend at this time answering the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. If you'd like to join us, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Well, we're glad you joined us today, and we're ready to take your questions and hopefully provide you with all the answers you need to get along with those weekend home projects Maybe many of you have projects you're thinking about for the next several months. It's not uncommon for us to have at least a long-range plan, and you've heard me on this show many times suggest that you sit down and do just that. It will help you not only with your budgeting, but also with your time allocation. I know a lot of you that are listening and that call and contact me are real hobbyists, meaning you like to do remodeling and you like to do maintenance work as it's needed around the house. You don't want the house to work you to death. But at the same time, you have the skills and the inclination to want to do these things. And as a result of that, we, from time to time, I like to take a look at what the industry, meaning the home building industry and home remodeling industry, takes into consideration over the next number of months. The trends that we see, what's hot, where we're apt to find some of the better bargains because they're producing more of certain items out there, and make all of you aware of that. These tend to change sometimes from year to year. But I think the trends that we have seen in the last 10 or 12 months are going to stay with us over the next several, at least probably 10 to 12 months. And that's what many of the experts around the nations are saying as well. So let's talk for just a moment about remodeling. And one thing I want you to understand is remodeling, whether it's a kitchen or a bathroom or a living dining area, is different from new construction or putting an addition on your home. And for those of you that aren't do-it-yourselfers, you may want to consider talking to specialty contractors, and by that I mean there are companies that specialize in just remodeling. Now, as a contractor, I can tell you there's really a different mindset, there's a different approach to a project for people that do remodeling all the time versus those that are just new construction builders. And some companies will handle what you would call a crossover. They have crews that can work in either environment and do this very well and do it successfully for you and be timely about it and produce the product that you want. But it is important to ask your builder, whoever you're talking with, the two or three that you're getting quotes from, do you specialize in remodeling or do you have specialty crews that do this? Because when we're remodeling, we're working in an existing environment in most cases. We're living in that home. And contractors that really work in just new construction are not accustomed to working sometimes around that environment where you've got food to prep in the evenings, you've got your furniture in place, you may have kids and pets running through the house from time to time. And specialty companies that are remodelers are geared to deal with all that, in many cases, in a little different fashion. So ask your builder if they have a remodeling experience before you move ahead and be sure you know what you're getting into. Now, as we look at some of the items that we tend to get the biggest bang for our buck on, this has been a trend for a long time. 
We're going to see that continue over the next number of months, and that is a kitchen makeover or kitchen remodeling. And this can be extensive or it can be minor. It can be as simple as refacing cabinets and replacing countertops or simply gutting the kitchen and starting from scratch with new flooring, new lighting, all new cabinets and all new appliances. What we find, though, nationwide is that for people that go in and do a kitchen facelift or remodeling, it's good for your pocketbook because not only do you get to enjoy the fruits of that, but if you go to sell the house, typically we're seeing somewhere between 80 and 83% return on each dollar that you put in that when it comes time to sell. So this is one of those items that's a real plus-plus for all of us. And, and certainly encourage you, if you're in an old, outdated kitchen, especially if you have energy inefficient appliances, uh, you're still dealing with the copper color of the 60s and maybe the harvest gold of the late 60s and early 70s, and you want to go to something a little more trendy, might be a good idea for you to think a little bit about that and save some energy as you move into energy-efficient items. We're seeing new products for kitchens, French door refrigerators. We're seeing people think more about these deep bowl sinks instead of the traditional six-and-a-half, seven-inch deep sinks that go in the kitchen. So there's some trendy things. They've been around for years, but they're still hot today. So if you're going to remodel, think a little bit about that. Probably number two on our list would be bathrooms, at least a master bathroom. We had a caller not too long ago that said her master bathroom was not any larger, I think, than about five by seven, and yet this was a master suite in a large bathroom area, and she was concerned not only about uh, how they live in the house but also about selling the house and had an opportunity to expand that by taking an adjacent unused closet. So think about those things. Do I have the space to enhance an area that I live in that I can appreciate a little more and do it without spending tons and tons of money? Open spaces will be continue to be a big thing. It has been for years. Many of the older homes were designed with small rooms, 10 by 10, 10 by 12, maybe 11 by 15, but they're chopped up with a lot of walls. And many of you have said for years, I'd really like to open this living room up or tie it into the dining room or bring the kitchen into the dining area. I'm not sure how to do that. In some cases, you've got interior walls that are load-bearing. You're going to have to consult an architect or a licensed contractor. But in others, if you know that and they're not, it may be as simple as taking out some plaster, some drywall, putting a header in, and bringing those two rooms together. But open spaces will continue to be an active trend. One of the, the big items that we have seen, too, and I think we will continue to see, partly because of our health concerns, all of us pay a little more attention to our indoor air quality and to our environment that we live in, that has to do with flooring. And I've talked about this occasionally on the show, that we see carpet sales declining. I'm not talking about floor finishes, but carpet proper across the nation is declining. The percentages that we see increasing are solid surface floors, predominantly when we're dealing with uh, hardwoods. And it may be a hardwood that is a natural hardwood, or it could be uh, bamboo or some of the other fiber or synthetics that are out there. It could be some of the laminates that are in the marketplace. But what we are seeing is that trend is moving up. They're easier to clean. They're not as susceptible to pet dander and hairs and other issues that many of us have allergies to. So we're seeing that trend upward, and you'll find that this also is a good return on investment when it comes time to sell the home, and it will outlast carpet. So those are some things that will continue to be hot for a period of time. Last item is going to be anything that's energy efficient, whether it's replacing appliances, HVAC, or simply putting some CFLs in those lamps and lights where you've got the old incandescent bulbs. So stay with us and do yourself a favor if you're looking to remodel. Save not only some time now by doing it right the first time, 
dealing with the right people, but also think a little bit about saving some energy as you move along in your home. We'd like to take this opportunity to welcome a, a new affiliate to Ken the Contractor, and that is WRIX FM 103.1, your hometown station in Anderson, South Carolina. We invite those of you listening to us, possibly for the first time, on WRIX FM to be part of our program. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to Ken at KenTheContractor.com. Coming up this hour on this edition of Ken the Contractor, one-on-one with Ken the Contractor, Ken's going to talk with a couple of fire professionals about Knox boxes and two ways out in preparing your home fire escape plan. And also, new statistics out tell us the number of builders that actually build homes continues to decline. What is that going to mean to you? We'll talk about that and much more coming up on this edition of Ken the Contractor. Our contact number again, 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken the Contractor. We're here weekends at this time. Ken is answering the questions that are important to you. Today's homeowner, questions about your home inside and out. If you'd like to join us, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And also email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. And we'd like to hear from you on a regular basis. And today we're hearing from Shannon out of Lawrence, Kansas. And Shannon asked this. He said, I recently purchased my home, but it has been around for a few years. So that's what he's telling me. He goes on and says it's built in the 1950s. He said, the seller remodeled several years ago and had the house rewired. I felt good about it when I purchased it, but just a few months ago, uh, every now and then I have a breaker problem in my master bedroom. Every time I plug in my bedroom lamp, the breaker trips. Now he says, I put the lamp in my family room, plugged it in there, and it works fine. Where do I start to find the problem, and is this going to be pricey? Two key questions I hear constantly. Where do I start, and is it going to cost a lot of money? And frankly, we all need to have that concern, and I hope that's partly what we're here for, is to help you address these and to maybe take some fears out of some things, or sometimes I have to confirm them and give you some direction. But, Shannon, the fact that the house has been rewired, forget about the fact that it was built in the 1950s. You're telling me that the house has been rewired in the last few years. Chances are pretty good it has what's called an arc fault interrupter circuit breaker in place in that bedroom because that's part of the national electric code. That's not local uh, to, a, to a region or a particular state. That is in the national electric code. So if the house was fully rewired and the electrical service was upgraded or modified to meet current codes, I want you to go to the breaker panel and check that breaker that you say constantly trips. And I want you to see if it looks a little different from all the other breakers. It may have a little yellow reset button or a yellow tab. It could have a red one on it. It, But what that tells you is that that is a unique breaker. It is required in bedroom areas across the country. And it makes it almost impossible for an old appliance, a lamp, a frayed electrical cord to short out and cause a fire. Now, gradually, we're going to see this required, and there are a few places across the country that require this in all new homes or all rewiring today in every room. But it has been in the NEC for several years to be in all bedrooms. So that says that when you plug that lamp in, that bedroom, and it's tripping that breaker, if indeed that's what you have, and I believe that's the case, that there is a problem with the the cord or somewhere with the internal wiring of that lamp that it's shorting out. And it may be so minimal that it still works when you plug it in a non-arc fault breaker, meaning that it could cause an electrical fire 
plugged into those other areas. My recommendation to you is you don't use that lamp. If it's something you're really fond of, you take it down to a local uh, electrical supply or uh, rewiring facility that will deal with appliances and let them rewire this completely, and it'll be safe, and you've got the same lamp, but you can use it anywhere. I don't think you'll have an issue going forward from there, but I really believe that's what you're describing. You check on that, I think you're going to be fine. Our contact number is 800-614-2975. Let's go to the phones, and it's Travis who joins us right now. Hi, Travis. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hey, Ken. I had a quick question uh, about a chimney. Uh, bought a house. It's been, the chimney's been knocked off down below the roof line. Wondering how I'd have this chimney inspected to put it back into use. I assume it used to be a wood stove there. But what I'd really like to do is perhaps remove the chimney and put a see-through fireplace that you can see from the living room into the dining room, spare room, or whatever you want to call it. Okay, so your interest is really to take out the firebox starting at the floor level all the way up through the roof, every aspect of the chimney. Okay, there is no firebox. It, it, uh, it's a chimney it's only. Yeah, yeah, the chimney. It used to be, it, it, going back to the cistern, it was a cistern, and they had built a room over top of it. So the cistern is still under there. And I'm not too interested in beefing up a bunch of concrete to support the weight of a chimney. Are there other options? where I can put a see-through fireplace and some lightweight chimney material back up through the roof. Absolutely. What you've described would be very easy for you to resolve. First off, I'm assuming this is a masonry chimney or stone or something, but it was a chimney only. Now that you've explained that, I would say certainly take that out. I wouldn't plan on using it at all in any way, shape, or form. And then look at some of the the many fireplaces that are prefab that are available in the marketplace, both wood-burning, if you want wood-burning, or natural gas or LP gas. They're all available with see-through glass. It goes from side to side. They are freestanding, or they can be enclosed, meaning you can do some lightweight wood framing around them and then come back and apply either a brick veneer, a stone veneer, tile, anything that you'd like if you want to enclose the surrounds of that, or you could leave it completely open and use a finished flue that would vent this on through the roof. You have so many options with this that would not impact your foundation or your floor in any fashion. Okay. But that right. would that would be a great concept if you you'd like to open that room up and share that heat to two sides. Again, I think you have multiple options. There are many suppliers in your area of these prefab units with all three of those heat sources. As I said, natural wood burning, uh, LP gas, and natural gas. Okay, I'm interested in wood, and do they draft well being open on both sides? Because I like the ambiance of a fireplace. I know they're not very, not the best heat source you can have, but they are nice. They will draft, but what you're going to miss on those compared to others or standard firebox or fireplace is it's not going to throw the heat very well. It's going to be more about appearance and a little less about heat. So if your primary need is heat, then you maybe you want to consider this would cost more money, but just putting two of them back to back. But okay. if you if you like the see through look, it will generate heat. It's just not going to throw that heat in the room like your masonry firebox does in your wood burning fireplace or even the gas. Okay. But you shouldn't have any problem finding plenty of sources, and hopefully you'll have a little fun while you're out shopping around. All right, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We appreciate your call. 
Thank you, Travis. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And those chimneys, as we get more and more into the colder weather, can become a bigger and bigger issue as people look for these different or alternative heating sources, which I know can cause some problems if you don't do things right. Well, we have to pay attention not only to what we have, if we have an issue with a chimney or a firebox, but also if we're remodeling, as we just talked about, looking to put a new firebox in, what's right for your particular house. And there are a lot of experts out there to help us with this. But one of the things I want to encourage everybody to do, Travis and others, when you're out there shopping, is to think about buying products made in America. And I have opportunity during the year to interview a number of manufacturers that have American-made products, and it's amazing that we can find almost everything we need made in America. We don't have to go overseas to find that. And not only are we helping our economy here to keep people employed and to keep manufacturers working, but the other thing that we're doing, folks, is for ourselves. We are finding products that if we happen to have an issue or we want to upgrade or buy service for that later on, we've got people locally that can take care of our needs and not have to order things from halfway around the world. That's a real plus, and I think we need to think more and more about that. So do your part to buy those products made in America. If it's off the shelf, you're going to find a lot of the hardware stores and retailers that have little American flags right by their SKU ticket on the aisle, and many of the boxes from the manufacturers have those flags as well. So let's do our part. Let's keep this economy rolling forward. Well, you know, and after having just completed the holiday season, if you're sending back a tie, a DVD, or a pair of socks, it's not that difficult. If you're sending back a large piece of equipment or something that, you know, you acquired for a home improvement project, it can get exceedingly costly and very time-consuming. Just the freight itself, in some cases, can almost break you. So buy Made in America products. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's right here each weekend at this time answering questions about your home inside or out. If you do have a question for Ken, you can email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. Give us a call at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is right here. Each weekend at this time, answering your questions, questions about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Time now for this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products, services, and other related information from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and save money. Joining us now is Karen Will, lieutenant with the Rockingham County, Virginia Fire Department. She's a fire prevention officer and also Deputy Fire Marshal Mike Armstrong, also with the Rockingham County, Virginia Fire Department. Welcome to the show today. Welcome, Ken. We're glad you could both be with us. Now, we've got some unique topics, and I've talked to our listeners several times about a few of these briefly, but one item I want to come back and touch on first is a Knox box. First, tell us a little more about the Knox box and the popularity that I'm seeing around the country with fire and with rescue departments, but primarily with fire departments in other areas around the country. What are they? A Knox box is a key box, Ken, that, uh, and there are several different manufacturers, but that is one that is very popular with the fire service. In commercial settings with fire alarms, it allows us to access a building prior to an owner being there to uh, investigate a smoke detector that has activated or something along those lines. So um, it, it gives us a little bit of a method of entry, and it also prevents us from having to destroy property by busting a window or door to access a facility. See, and that's one of the pluses to me when it comes to 
homeowners. Now, this has been required by many jurisdictions for years on commercial and industrial applications. But when it comes to homes, most people don't think about it. And if you happen to have a loved one that lives by themselves uh, and there's a need to call, there's a medical need, even if they have a medic alert, and you've got first responders that in most places are the fire department today, they can't get in without taking some tool and opening a window, breaking a window, or going into a door and tearing up a jam. Is that That's right? That's correct, uh, Ken. Our elderly, with even a medical alert bracelet, um, this is a more secure way to have a key. Oftentimes, we'll be given information to call, and there's a key located somewhere. Uh, this way, we have this key secured on our equipment that lets us in, and then we get into that box. Um we have numerous uh, residential boxes here in the county, and they've come around as a result of someone who's fallen, quite honestly. And then we need to uh, we we've broken some doors and done some damage to get to those folks where this uh, this relatively inexpensive box would have saved that uh, of being necessary. Right, and so you can put aside a few fears. The key that opens this Knox box is controlled by your local fire department, and it's going to be different in every jurisdiction. Correct, and it is secured. On on our apparatus and maintained, and we are the only folks that have access to that. All right, so how do folks go about getting one? Who do they see? Where do they buy these? They need to start with their local jurisdiction. Um, in some areas, that's going to be their local fire marshal's office. Some areas, it's going to be the fire department. In some areas, it may be the building official's office. But I would start with my, my fire department and ask if they have a NOX or a key box program for them to use. And if they do, is this typically logged in on the, in the 911 computer? So if there's a call that comes out, they know there's a key and a NOX box at this location? Some areas maintain those if their GIS program will allow them to do that, so to speak, with their dispatching. Uh, there are, with the Knox program, there's a sticker that goes on the windows or doors to allow us to know that that happens. If you have a uh, medic alert type bracelet, it's something you would log with those folks. And when that uh, is activated, they would inform us that this is a Knox location, and that's where we find our key. So there's several different ways to to have that logged. It's another way to stay safe around your home or perhaps that loved one living by themselves and also to avoid some property damage if you have an issue. Also with us today is Fire Prevention Officer Karen Will. Now, another item that I do want to spend some time on has to do with two ways out. I think that was the theme in October, National Fire Prevention Week in 2012. There's a theme every year. And two ways out has been so important to me since uh, as a youngster, I was on the uh, fourth floor of a four-story building in a jurisdiction where there was a fire and no ladder truck in the community that had to come from another city to get a lot of people out of buildings. So I always think about two ways out. That building had only one. The fire was in the apartment next door. The people left the door open into the stairwell. So it was an interesting situation that stayed with me a lifetime now. So two ways out had a big meaning to me. Uh, as I saw that come about in National Fire Prevention Week. Talk to us a little bit about what folks should be planning, how they consider this. If they're in a two-story home, they have attic apartments, maybe one even over a garage somewhere, what do they have to think about? How do you get out? Okay, hopefully one of the things that they're going to think about, first of all, is preventing the fire from happening in the first place and making sure that they have working smoke alarms in their home. If they have those working smoke alarms, Hopefully, they're going to catch a fire before it gets to the point that they have to figure out a second way out via ladder or uh, other means. Um, if they do need ladders, 
it's something that you can uh, purchase at many of your local businesses uh, in your areas. A lot of the larger stores have these. They're called fire escape ladders. Uh, they come in different lengths. Average cost, again, depending on your locality, probably start in the mid $30 range and up. Uh, again, it, they are made from different materials, come in different lengths, and those kind of things. But fire escape ladders are something that uh, could be very beneficial to families that um, have all the bedrooms in their home on a second or third story of their home. Uh, we recommend that if people do have these ladders, though, they need to get the ladders out, uh, sit down with their entire family, talk about how to use these things appropriately. They are not a ladder that should be played with. Um, the whole family needs to know where they're at and how to actually use these things. And this is something that should be in every bedroom, from what I understand. And I don't mind telling you that when uh, my, my son moved out many years ago, moved into a Northern Virginia apartment on the third floor because of my experience as a youngster, his mother and I gave him one of these ladders as a Christmas gift. And we really gave him a few other things. But anyway, we wanted him to be safe in this environment because we could see a, a potential for a problem. So what else should people know briefly? We have just a little time uh, as far as their family, talking about emergency plans. This is something for youngsters. If, if you're going to have a ladder, they don't need to just have a ladder. It's something they need to be cognizant of and trained on how to use. Yes, they should be. Uh, you just don't want to get this thing and shove it in a closet someplace. Uh, everyone in the home needs to know where this thing is stored. Again, they need to get it out and talk about it as a family. They need to understand it's not a ladder to play with. It is to be used only in emergency situations, and they need to explain that to the children, get it out, show them how it is actually supposed to be used, and, again, reinforce that several times a year. We do recommend that people practice fire escape, uh, fire escape drills in their homes at least twice a year. So when you're doing that, pull the ladder out and re refresh everyone's memory on how to actually use this thing. Fire safety never hurts, not only in your home, but when you're traveling. I'm always looking for a second way out in hotels and office buildings. When I come in, I'm going to have more than one way out. And I encourage all of you to do the same. But pay particular attention to that familiar environment, your home. We get too comfortable with things. And then when we have an emergency, we panic. So pay a little attention. I appreciate both of you joining us today. Thank you so much for the feedback and the input. And I hope our listeners take this to heart. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. You know, fire prevention around the house is something that we don't think about very often, just like safety in general with ladders, gasoline, other things that we deal with. But there's something that we leave at the workplace we shouldn't. So all of the things that we're all trained in doing at the workplace, let's be sure and take it home. And if you have youngsters especially, we just talked about fire escapes and exits, whether you're in a single story, a two- or three-story house, it's something you need to bring them up thinking about because take it from me. I speak from experience. These things happen, they can happen, and they will happen when you least expect it. So always be prepared. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Don't forget to friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. If you have a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. A house is what you build, a home is what you make it. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email your question to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Time now for this week's In the News Update. Each week, Ken brings you products, trends, tips, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and new construction. Ken, you've got some interesting stats here about the fact that fewer and fewer people are building homes. I do, and this is not my own research. This comes to us from the National Association of Home Builders and Handley Wood Market Research, which has checked this out nationwide. 
What we're talking about are the number of builders that continues. We see that in the decline, and you would expect that in a down market. But even though the market's coming back, we still see builders falling by the wayside. Now, the reason I bring this to you in the news is because some of you would at least understand that if you're getting ready to build, this could be a problem for you. And so what does it mean to you? Well, builders historically have ups and downs based on the way the economy changes, but they deal with most of these difficulties and they survive. In 2005, though, based on research, there's estimated uh, the estimated number of contractors nationwide was 73,000 across the U.S. In 2011, that number had declined to less than 34,000. Now, that's a decline, folks, of 50 percent. That means for many of you, half the builders that were there several years ago are no longer there today. The builders that are there have also learned to operate with fewer sales and closings. In 2005, there were almost 18 closings per builder on average per year, but in 2011, there were fewer than nine closings per builder on average. Now, what I want you to think a little bit about is where do I live? And then I'm going to tell you how this can impact you. So when we look at the largest uh, or the 50 largest home building markets in the U.S., Three of those markets now have less than 25% of the number of builders that were operating in 2005. And those are Atlanta, Phoenix, and Riverside, San Bernardino, California. So if you happen to live in any of those building markets, you're going to find that you only have 25% of the builders to go to as part of your selection process when you think about remodeling or putting additions on that you had several years ago. And when you think about that, What this means to you is that you are likely one to wait longer to get a builder to do your project because their crews are smaller and they're trying to do more with less and they can only take on so many projects. And secondly, you're likely to pay higher prices in some of these markets, especially where there is still a fair amount of demand. So the markets with the most builders are places like New York, Seattle, Houston, and Atlanta. Um, Even though there's been a big decline in some of these, they still have the most number of builders. But the markets with the least, if you will, are certainly the greatest decline in builders. Again, a Riverside in California, also Denver and Cape Coral, Fort Myers, Florida. So depending on where you live, you may find that you're paying more, you're waiting longer. Others of you may say everything's fine. But whatever you do, I still want you to go out there and take at least three bids from your contractors after you put your specs together and be sure you know what you're buying. Is there a possibility, because we also keep getting numbers, that the housing market gets stronger, that as the market gets stronger, you may see some folks re-enter the market? I think it's a possibility, but it's not likely to see that right now for the same reason that we see The builders that are doing more with less, they are still reluctant to beef up their payrolls, to hire people. They're willing to work a little longer or postpone some contracts and keep a full workload with fewer people. Our phone lines are open. If you have a question for Ken, the number to dial is 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And uh, joining us right now is Arlene. Arlene, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. I bought a brand-new dryer, and my grandson brought it in the house and hooked it up and everything, but it won't get hot. What is wrong with it? Is this an electric dryer or gas? Electric. It is uh, tied into a 220 outlet, correct? Yes, sir. Typically, when I hear this problem, there is either an issue with the dryer proper or there is an issue with the power feeding the dryer. Now, the reason I say mm-hmm. that is because on a 220 circuit, you have two 110 legs, and you're telling me that the dryer is getting warm but not hot. Yeah. Do you think it's the plug-in thing where he put, 
plugs it in. You think that's it? It could be. Now, is this a new circuit for the dryer, or was this existing? This is existing. Okay, so you had a dryer in place, and it was functioning fine? Yes. Yeah, it had, I had one back there, and it heated, but it was getting old, so I thought maybe it went bad, and that's the reason I went and bought me a new one. Okay, did the old one stop working? Yeah, it quit working. It quit getting hot. Was it doing the same thing the new one is in the sense that it was getting warm but not hot? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, then I think what I'd mm-hmm. do would be check the electrical circuit to that because you may only have 110 volts going to the dryer instead of 220. Now, the 220 circuit, there mm-hmm. essentially are 210-volt legs coming into that. And if you've dropped out uh-huh. one leg, it's only going to provide partial heat to the dryer, and it's not going right. to allow it to uh-huh. heat properly. Uh-huh. So this may be a case that you've got an issue with the circuit breaker or that you you have a loose wire in the breaker panel because there will be two wires that feed that 220 breaker and you may have one that's mm-hmm. loose or not making contact at all that may also hold true within the receptacle where you plug the dryer into the wall mm-hmm. so you don't think the the hose where the lint goes out you don't think that stop up is causing it well that can be a second thing and i, I want to go there but since you've described that you've had you're only getting it warm but not hot typically a dryer if mm-hmm. you have sufficient back pressure meaning the discharge is clogged up mm-hmm. it will still heat mm-hmm. it just it can't get rid of that moisture so it will go on and on and on for a lengthy period of time and it will mm-hmm. take you know an hour to dry what might normally take 20 minutes to dry but you're telling me that from yeah, the time I you turn a load of clothes by crew last week and I dried for an hour and a half before it ever got dried. That's an obvious thing. So I would check that. That should be fairly easy for you to be sure that it's open, that you do not have it clogged up, because that is a sign of a dryer mm-hmm. just running forever. But you're telling me it only gets warm. Mm-hmm. You, when you can open the door and it just yeah, feels warm and not real hot, that's more, no. to me, that tells me it's more of an electrical problem than a, a discharge mm-hmm. problem on the vent side. But I would certainly check that because you want to be sure that you have free air movement, that you don't have lint buildup, so that you don't have a dryer fire, number one, but also so that the dryer can yeah. do what it's supposed to to dissipate the moisture and discharge that to the exterior. But it sounds to me like you really have an electrical issue that you only have 110 volts going into a 220 outlet, so you're not heating. You're mm-hmm. not providing the electricity for those heating elements to function properly. So I'm going to have to get an electrician to come here and check it. If you don't have anyone around the house capable of doing that, that's certainly where I would be looking. No, You're telling me the old dryer did the same thing, and you thought it had gone bad, so you purchased a new one, and now you mm-hmm. have the same problem again with the new dryer. Mm-hmm. So I believe you probably have an electrical mm-hmm. issue, either the breaker or a wiring connection. Okay, I appreciate your help, and I love your show. Thank you so much. We appreciate you listening, and thank you for your call. Thank you. Thanks, Arlene. And don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email questions to KenTheContractor.com. Speaking to Arlene about the dryer reminds me that this is one other area in our home that most of us don't pay a lot of attention to. As long as it works, we throw clothes in it, we turn it on, we dry it, we pull them out, we go on about our business. But there is a certain amount of maintenance, and dryer fires occur all over this country. If I remember the numbers I looked at some time ago, about 11,000 a year. You're saying, well, that's 11000 out of $300 million. That's not too bad. If it affects you, I want to tell you it's pretty bad. I had a neighbor whose house was set on fire by a dryer fire years ago. They went off and left the clothes dryer running. They came back to find the fire department there and smoke billowing out of their home, and it was all because of the dryer. So these things are real, people, and you need to pay a little bit of attention, as Arlene and I just discussed, 
Keep the dryer vent open. Be sure that it can adequately discharge that moisture because that's going to impact, uh, has a potential of causing a fire. And secondly, it's going to cause the dryer to run so much longer to dry the clothes and always be sure that lint trap is clean. That'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or online at KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Do you have questions about your home inside or out? KenTheContractor.com is all you need to know. I'm Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Visit KenTheContractor.com for answers to plumbing, fencing, electrical, roofing, painting, heating, fireplaces, decks, and much more. Submit your questions or call anytime. Remember, KenTheContractor.com, where folks come for professional answers. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.